This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Kelly. Our guest this week is the ranking member on the House Agriculture Committee, Minnesota 7th District Congressman Colin Peterson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Colin Peterson next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Farmers of the agriculture industry face a number of challenges here in the spring of 2018. All eyes on the House Ag leadership and any potential compromise on a new farm bill. But an even bigger issue is the U.S. position on global trade. Minnesota Democrat Colin Peterson says he hopes President Trump has a defined global trade strategy, but he doesn't see it. He campaigned and, frankly, won the election because he said he was going to get tough. The people that cost those folks in Ohio and Indiana and Michigan their jobs, you know, 20 years ago. The problem is you can get tough, all as tough as you want. I'm not sure those jobs are coming back. So we've been telling the administration, you know, that be careful here because we've, you know, we've gotten a lot of markets uh, out of NAFTA and out of some of these other trade agreements um, we don't want to screw up the positive things that have happened on trade. We had Ray Starling on the show last week, an advisor to the president at the White House, and he suggested that over a period of years there had been a lot of talk with China, but there hadn't been a lot of results. So now taking action toward tariffs that they were looking to see if this would bring in a result to a perhaps a better trade relationship and a better balance of trade. I hope that's true, but I don't see it. I mean, I was um, at a uh, trailer manufacturer in my district. They make uh, heavy-duty trailers for, you know, agriculture and all kinds of things for big trucks and so forth. And they're a big operation. they got three, four hundred employees. And they, um, their steel had gone up 43.5%. Then I was in another place where they were using a lot of steel, the Case IH um, uh, operation, and they were telling me that they can they can only guarantee the price for 24 hours because it's going up so fast, and they're talking 40 45 percent increases there as well. Some aluminum people have gotten a hold of me that are using aluminum that are having the same kind of problems. So I don't know what it's doing with the Chinese, but it's putting a lot of not only agriculture, it's putting a lot of pressure on the manufacturing in my district, and we've got tremendous manufacturing going on up and down my district, mostly steel fabricating and that sort of thing. They're facing significantly higher prices, which are a real concern. Looking at the agriculture economy, we have been in a downslide for several months, a little pop perhaps on the market as late, but still on a downturn. Is there an urgency to get a farm bill done in 2018? Well, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. I've been through a lot of farm bills, and uh, the farmers that have come in, you know, on their fly-ins this year, uh, the farm bill has been 
the third or fourth thing on the agenda, if it's even on the agenda. What they're concerned about is the trade stuff. Uh, they're concerned about uh, regulations. They're concerned about the RFS. Uh, I would say RFS and trade are probably the number one and two things that all of the farm groups that come in have talked to me about. And uh, the farm bill is like an afterthought. So, you know, the 2014 bill was not exactly what I wanted. And Frank Lucas and I put together a very different bill that ended up what ended up coming out of the final conference committee. My position is that this bill, uh, the 2014 bill, or what we're currently considering, is not going to be an adequate safety net uh, given what we're facing. I, I, what I'm becoming more and more concerned about is that we're not talking about improving, you know, maybe improving target prices, um, you know, in the PLC program to give a better safety net and certainty and a better certainty for the bankers um, in the system. So I don't know. I've had people talk to me, that, well, if you're going to just extend what we got, um, I'm not sure that's going to do us a whole lot of good. So I think we need to start looking at uh, is there a way we can improve the safety net and the confidence that people have in the system to keep keep it going. Well, when you came with the 2014 Farm Bill, we obviously in agriculture had been on a tremendous upswing, and farmers were given the choice of an ARC program on revenue or a price program in PLC. If you're able to bring around another piece of farm policy and farmers have that choice, I have to believe that uh, the PLC program is going to be a lot more popular. So setting that price so that it's not uh, being an incentive to plant, but also at the same time providing protection, finding that sweet spot looks to be a difficult task. That could be. But I am not one of those that believes that the target prices in PLC are the reason people plant. Uh, I have not, not been able to find a farmer who tells me that he's uh, changing what he plants based on what we're uh, what we're doing with the PLC. And as long as you keep those target prices in balance across the system, uh, there isn't going to be any incentive, you know, to change crops. So I don't buy that. I, you know, uh, this this is something that uh, Pat Roberts and I have gone round and round on, and Flinchbow and some other people. I don't agree with that philosophy. I think that it can be done. Uh, in a way that uh, does not affect planning decisions. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to move to uh, PLC because ARC doesn't, uh, you know, in a time of downward prices, it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, people got some good payments the first couple of years, and then it, you know, went down. I told people that was going to happen, but they went ahead anyway because they said, well, we don't trust you guys, so we're going to take the money and run, basically. Can you tweak ARC and PLC and have an adequate safety net, or will it take something new, something different? Well, I don't know what what uh, different. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of ARC. I haven't been. Uh, it wasn't in our bill in the House. Uh, so there are some people wanting to tweak the ARC. Uh, it's it's really expensive if you're going to do anything that does anything to help farmers. I'm not interested in going down that road. What I'm looking at is trying to improve the reference prices in PLC. And in fact, I've asked my staff um, to have the CBO do some scoring on that and take a look at uh, how much that would cost and, and trying to figure out if there's a way that we can uh, uh, come up with the money to, to do something like that. Did the omnibus 
legislation provide a fix for the dairy program and for the cotton program? Are they complete now, or does it take a policy rewrite to make those commodities whole? Well, depends on who you talk to, but um, I thought cotton, and I don't, you know, I don't, we don't grow cotton, so I'm not as much of an expert. I thought cotton got what they wanted, but since then I've had uh, two or three different cotton groups come in and talk to me, and there are some tweaks that they want. But I think they can live with what's there. I don't think that's uh, the end of the world if we don't get the tweaks, but they'd like some tweaks. Uh, in the case of dairy, uh, I sent some suggestions over to, to uh, Stabenow and Leahy when they were doing this, and it was done over in the Senate. They, they didn't, didn't take my suggestions. Um, I think it was a mistake. Uh, we can go to $9 margin coverage for smaller producers, you know, for the 5 million pounds, uh, without any cost to the Treasury. And so I have suggested that we go to $9. Uh, if we do that uh, for people that have, you know, 250 cows or so, uh, you're going to be able to provide a safety net that gets pretty close to cost of production. Uh, so that's what's needed there. Uh, the $8 coverage, um, there's going to be payments this year if you sign up for the maximum uh, because they're going to make it retroactive. So it's like, your house burned down, and they're going to let you buy the insurance anyway. And so, if you sign up for the maximum eight dollar coverage, uh, you're going to, have to pay premiums about seven grand, but you'll get about twenty thousand above the premiums, maybe eighteen thousand, something like that. So it's uh, somewhat of a help. If they would have taken the nine dollars, the increase above your premiums would be in the neighborhood of sixty thousand dollars, and that's what's needed because those farmers probably are fifty, sixty grand in the hole over the last uh, 12 months uh, because of the dairy prices. So, you know, at, at $8 coverage uh, that's in the bill, month-to-month you know, -month, uh, changes and so forth, it's better than what we had. But I'm skeptical about how many farmers are going to actually sign up for this, even though they're going to get money out of the system. Some might argue that with the dollars that were made available for cotton and for dairy and even the money for broadband and the omnibus, really took a lot of pressure off of having to get a farm bill done in 18 that you could buy yourself some time with an, an extension. Will we be any better off if we punt this year in the election year and start again next year? You know, it's hard to say. But I think there's no question that it took the pressure off the chairman by having the cotton program fixed in the omnibus. Absent that, uh, he would be a lot more energized to get this done. So, again, as I said earlier... With what's in the current bill that we're looking at in terms of the safety net, a lot of people tell me they don't think it's adequate. The crop insurance is there, but crop insurance also follows the prices, you know, just like ARC does. And, uh, you know, we want to maintain crop insurance. It's hugely important. But in a time of low prices, all you're doing is insuring the low prices with the revenue system. So we've started to take a look on our side of the committee at the possibility of trying to uh, improve the um, safety net. Moving to the nutrition side, um, Mr. Peterson, it looks as though that there is a political impasse. The question is, have you and the chairman been talking? Uh, is there any hope for a resolution, or do you expect to see uh, a chairman's draft uh, follow a majority uh, out of the committee and onto the floor? Well, it's, I don't know. I think there's always uh, a possibility to work things out. Right now, there have not been discussions. I think there are ways that this could be worked out, and uh, 
philosophically, I don't disagree with the chairman and and the Republicans. I think people should work, and I think it's good for them to work. And I think 70% of the people that uh, in this group they're after uh, are working. Uh, They're working in jobs that are low-paid enough that uh, they get snapped in addition. Uh, so there's no disagreement there. Uh, where I disagree is they're taking a lot of the savings ostensibly uh, produced by this bill and creating this new bureaucracy that I don't believe is going to be effective. And that's my big problem. I don't have any problem with people being required to work, but the people are getting $60, $80 a month in food stamps that are in this category. So if you require them to go to a job trading site and sit in a room for 80 hours a month, what do you think is going to happen for eighty for eighty dollars of the food stamps? They're going to drop out of the system. Well, that's uh, I don't know. I guess accomplishing something from the Republican point of view, but I don't I don't think that's a good use of resources to have go people go sit in a room and uh, do a job search that they can do at home. Because in a lot of cases, the people are living in places where there are no jobs. If, if they come to my district, we'll put them to work tomorrow. It's just a you know uh, philosophically, I agree. People should work. I've been spending the last week going to human resource places in my district that actually do this kind of stuff. Uh, I've laid out to them what the Republicans are proposing. They're just incredulous. They say, this isn't going to work. So my analysis is being backed up by the people that actually do this uh, every day, day in and day out. And the thing that I was surprised about is the most visceral reaction came uh, most incredulous reaction came when they, I told them they were planning on making people that are 55, 60, 65 work for their benefits. And they just like, you got to be kidding me. Because <laughs> you get some folks that are laid off, you know, at, at that age, it's very hard to get hired again. And they're only getting $100 a month, you know. So, you know, I think there's a way we could work this out. I think there's reforms that need to be made. Going to these offices, I've now come up with some reforms that I'm going to, uh, put together in a package and put forward, and I hope that we can work this out. But beyond the, the snap, I think the other big issue is what are we gaining? Why should we take the risk of putting a bill on the floor if we're divided uh, and have to face these amendments on crop insurance and sugar and other things? Uh, we may lose. You know, does that make any sense? So I, I think we just have to. Be careful how we move ahead with all this. When I spoke with Chairman Roberts and Ms. Stabenow, they both suggested that a very partisan bill would not come from their committee and that they wouldn't support it. So there's three farm bills, one that comes from the House and one from the Senate, and then finally that conference report. Given that statement from the Senate committee, what does that tell us about what the House needs to do now? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not the chairman, so you'll have to you know, ask him. But my advice to him is, you know, I've talked to Roberts, I've talked to Stabenow, I've talked to Grassley, and they have all said, we're not going near this food stamp stuff. So what are we doing? Why are we doing this? I, I can't answer that question. You'll have to ask the chairman. But I can tell you this, if, if they move a partisan bill, they can probably get it out of committee. I don't doubt that. I think they'll have four Republicans vote against it on the committee, but they'll get it out. On the floor, I'd be very surprised if they can pass it without our help, and I think we run the risk of some very bad amendments getting adopted. But say they're able to weather all of that and they get a bill in the conference, what that conference will look like is something I've never seen before, and that is that I'm going to be supporting the Senate. 
And so it's going to be us and the Senate against the House Republicans. I don't see how they're going, how they think that's going to work out. But our side is not going to uh, go along with some of the provisions that are in the bill that the Republicans have put in there. So we're going to be more aligned with the Senate. Even though you might not support the final bill, and if it is in debate on the floor, and I realize that's a lot of ifs, but if some of those amendments that come up uh, that might challenge crop insurance or challenge other portions of the program, would you still vote to defeat those amendments? No, I would vote, yeah. But, I mean, uh, I I wouldn't bet on what some of the other members are going to do. I mean, we have we've depended on the Black Caucus, for example, out of our side, to help us with sugar and these other amendments. I don't know that you can guarantee that the Black Caucus is not going to vote in lockstep against it. That's the danger. you got you got the Freedom Caucus on their side that are going to vote to get rid of this stuff. you got some of these reformers on our side. I'm very worried about what could happen there. I mean, I'll vote to defeat it, but, uh, you know, that's gonna, not going to be enough to necessarily carry the day. What are the chances that we get a farm bill this year, and what are the chances we see an extension if you had to be a betting man today? <laughs> well, as of right now, at this moment, I would bet on an extension. And that's not the end of the world. You know, we've we've been there before. But things could work out. We're going to put some alternatives together. We're going to run up the flagpole and we get back. And uh, I've got some information that I didn't have before. I've learned a lot this last week. And um, we'll take another run at it and see if we can get talk some sense into uh, where we're going with all this. And, you know, again, I, I'm not against having people work. I think it's good for people to work. <laughs> I think we got too much government. <laughs> we don't need more government. That's my position. I was Senator Ernst pretty adamant that she doesn't want to see more acres in the conservation reserve, seeing her young farmers especially are competing with a government program for, for acres to farm. You and Senator Thune have both proposed some different ideas about expanding the CRP. So what's the debate uh, in the Farm Bill with CRP, and, and how would your plan work? The CRP program has been hijacked by some environmental and hunting groups, in my opinion, and we're paying way too much money especially in Iowa. So I agree with her on that. And so we're looking at reforming the system. So we're not going to be paying farmers anywhere near as much money as we currently pay them. And so I think if, if uh, she would take a look at what we're talking about, this would be a much better plan for her farmers than just freezing it at 24 million acres because that'll just continue paying too much money for these acres and, and creating uh, too much cost in terms of planning these various mixes and so forth. So we think we can save enough money so we can uh, have 29, 30 million acres with the same amount of money as we spend on 24. And the main reason we can do that is by limiting the uh, rental rate to 80% of the rental rate in that county. And I think that's a market-based approach to keep the good prime farmland out of CRP. I don't know anybody that's going to put it in CRP if they only get 80% of the rental rate. So I think that's a good way to approach this. We're also looking at limiting the amount of money we pay to establish the cover to 40%, so the farmer would have to pick up 60 and that will make them look at the price of seed and put some competition into that, which has been a problem when we paid 90 or 100%. So I think the reforms that uh, Senator Thune and I are proposing would be extremely beneficial to farmers out there, and uh, and I think it would work. There's the, the Grain and Feed Association, which she's been talking to. Their idea 
is to have put something in the law, which again gives us more government. And I don't understand people that don't like government advocating more government. <laughs> but what they want to do is they want to have the USDA define what prime farmland is. And I, I don't think it can be done, you know, in a way that actually works. Uh, you know, we, we put the wetland law in in 1985 in the swamp buster, and we still haven't been able to define what a wetland is all these years later. And that'll happen with prime farmland too. So let's do a market-based approach. I think what we're proposing is going to be a much better system going forward. And if she takes a look at it, I think she'll, she'll see the merit in it. Back to a conversation with Ray Starling on last week's program suggesting that the president would like to have a compromise between big oil and renewable fuels. One of those perhaps compromises is a cap on rents. Also a question of whether should this be handled at the administrative level or should this come back to Congress and let the legislature decide? If they're going to put a cap on RENs, then I think the answer is let the legislature decide uh, because a cap on RENs is not going to work. They're going to pick a big fight with me if they try to do that. And if it comes back to Congress, nothing's going to happen. There's no way that they can pass what they want to do, uh, especially through the Senate. So the way to keep it the way it is is send it back to Congress. I don't know if they have the authority to put a cap on RENs at the administrative level. I don't know. But that would be uh, potentially the beginning of the end of the RFS. We've got enough problems with prices in this country because of trade and and just the underlying economic situation in agriculture. Uh, you screw around with the RFS, and you're going to have a disaster. In those circumstances, when we really better have a good safety net in the farm bill, or we're going to have big problems, which we could have anyway. The only thing that's saved us the last few years has been big yields. And if we get an average or below average year, I would predict next winter we're going to have big trouble with a lot of people in the system. My message to people is don't screw around with the RFS. That's the last thing we need right now. Well, Colin Peterson, we want to thank you so much for your support for Rural America and certainly for agriculture over your career. Thank you for taking time this week to talk to us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word today. Well, uh, we need to figure out a way to get the snow to stop happening up here. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and that's all we need, too, is to have a really late spring and, and not things uh, dried out. In our part of the world, that's not a good start to a good year. Well, I'm hoping for a fruitful uh, growing season, and I'm also hopeful for a fruitful compromise in Washington. So do I. We'd like to get this done. Our thanks to Minnesota 7th District Congressman Colin Peterson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.